Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. So I just want to give you a little update about Phoenix Rising. You know, whenever I start a new program, it takes a minute to kind of get it going and to know that it's actually going and going well. And so it's been a few weeks and it's, you guys, it's fucking great. (laughs) I'm so happy. We have an incredible group of women that have come together to share their journey with each other and be guided by each other and each other's experiences and by me and my work. And it's really amazing. And as I've said before, this is an ongoing program. So you can join at any time. It's really reasonably priced. It's $197 a month. And I really made it that low so that it would be as accessible as possible to as many women as possible. So If you've been thinking about it, if you know you're kind of ready to get a divorce uh, and you need support, my God, don't we all need support? Then this program is for you. Uh, My private coaching is also for you, but it is more expensive. So those are the options I have for you. And I really hope that you will join me in one of those uh, realms And if you're still trying to make the decision whether to stay or go, you know I've got you too with my book, The D Word, my program, Should I Stay or Should I Go, and of course, private coaching. So there we have it. Today, I have with me Eli Harwood. She's also known as the Attachment Nerd. And if you're not already following her on Instagram, get thee to Instagram and follow her ASAP at Attachment Nerd. Eli is uh, a licensed therapist, author, and educator who has more than 17 years of experience helping people process relational traumas and develop secure attachment relationships with their children and partners. Eli has three children, one husband, two cats, and an extraordinary number of plants. And she's amazing, and I adore her. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Eli Harwood. Eli, thank you so, so much for coming on and talking to us all things attachment. Yay. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, okay. Attachment styles. We talk, we hear about attachment styles all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes they are... Uh, people different have different names for them, right? Yes. How many attachment styles do you think there are and work with? <laughs> okay, well, I'll explain to you. This is why I nerd out on this stuff. There are yeah. two different bodies of research. Right. So why we have all these different names and things and why it gets confusing is the developmental psychologists have four categories for children and those names change in adulthood. So now we have eight different names for attachment styles over here, but there are still four categories. There's just a childhood version and an adulthood version. Then social psychology came along and was like, this is interesting and started doing their own set of research on attachment. And they kind of focus on three styles and their research does not correlate with this other body of research. So Okay, so the fact that I'm confused, often confused by this yes. is is not me. <laughs> no, it's not you. It's us. It's the attachment research community. It's that and and like there's a couple of things. For instance, there's a pattern in childhood that has two different alternate words that are used to describe it. So it is really confusing. I can, what I can teach you is like kind of very simply. Mm-hmm. Here's what attachment is. Here's yes. what an attachment pattern is. And I am very loyal to the developmental research because 
The developmental research doesn't study individuals. It studies Mm. relationships. Oh, yes. Okay. And I think that's key. And also I can be confusing sometimes when people are like, well, I don't know. I'm kind of avoidant sometimes, or I'm kind of preoccupied sometimes, or I don't know. I think I'm secure a little, like where am I? Well, the answer is all of those things can be true patterns in different relationships in your life. And so it may be that in one context, you have a really secure attachment pattern, but in another relationship, you have an avoidant pattern and in another relationship, you have a disorganized pattern. And it is about your pattern is in relationship to what that other person is doing or can give you or okay, your unresolved stuff. <laughs> Aha, right. Okay, exactly. And so it's complicated. It's really, really complicated. But I love this idea, right? Because we know that attachment styles are not necessarily fixed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We 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 work on our trauma, we heal, we heal yes. right? We can shift, we can become more secure over time, right? As someone who has done a lot of work in this realm, mm-hmm. I can still find myself suddenly incredibly disorganized if I'm in, like I was dating someone recently and my therapist mm-hmm. was finally like, he has a completely disorganized attachment. And I was like, oh, that's why I'm mm. feeling so off balance all the time. And I don't know what's going on. And I mm. feel disorganized because mm. I'm sort of absorbing or yes. mirroring what's happening in from this other person. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Right. And and our attachment can become more secure. It can become less secure. It can change. It's, it is not a static thing, which I love what you're saying. Right. So let me explain to you. What, what attachment is from a biological evolutionary perspective? Like, what is it? Yes, and I then, love it. Attachment then, nerd, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and then once we get a hold of that, then as we explain the different patterns, they'll start to make more sense. Okay. Okay. So yeah. we have a thirst drive. Why? Because if we don't drink enough water, we die. We have right. a hunger drive. Same vibes. We have an attachment drive. Why? Because the human infant cannot survive without a caregiver. Uh, The theory, and this is something we can't prove, but the theory is that by having this attachment drive and being this relational in the way that we develop as creatures, as human creatures, human babies are able to be born more helpless and therefore to grow bigger brains over time. So by having this longer post-gestational period of development, our brains can become more complex. Well, that's really interesting because that's sort of the idea of the fourth trimester, right? Which, which is longer than that, right? Because even a even a four month old is not going out into the world and foraging for berries and finding shelter, right? Like, (laughs) right, much much later, and so Mm -hmm. that a child could really truly survive on their own without a caregiver in in a situation. So, so this attachment drive it allows us to develop in more complex ways. And it creates a survival strategy for us as a species because it makes us relational creatures. So it doesn't, it's not just about infancy and getting to the point where we might be able to like climb up a tree away from a tiger. It also allows us to co-regulate and support each other and Mm -hmm. to live in community. And in a community setting, we have everybody's skills at our disposal. So if it's just me as an individual creature in the world, I only have the skills that I have. But if we live in community, if we live in intimate relationship, then we gain the skills of others and that helps us to thrive and survive. So attachment, um, one of my favorite attachment gurus, Sue Johnson, talks about cradle to grave. Attachment is a need from cradle to grave. You know, you don't don't get to 75 and go, you know what, I'm just done with humans. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to go out on my own and I, you know, it's fine. I'll I'll perish by myself. I don't need anybody. Right. Like we need, I mean, some people do, right. Okay. (laughs) But then they end up like the Unabomber. So (laughs) right. They're not healthy. Right. No. And those are usually deeply disorganized, traumatized people. Okay. So that's right. Yes. All right. So in an ideal world, I'm going to talk about what secure attachment looks like in childhood, because this is our goal. This is what, whether we had this or we didn't have this, this is what we want to cultivate with our children, but also what we're learning how to heal in ourselves so that whatever we didn't get, we understand, oh, this is why that bothered me. Secure attachment. Got it. Okay. This is what we know from a lot of data. Highly responsive parenting, highly attuned, which I'll explain what that means in a minute. 
Um, and deeply calm and grounded parents. So I'm a baby. Mm -hmm. I'm all feelings. If my caregiver responds to my cues with empathy, I cry, they pick me up. I'm upset. They continue to hold me, rock me, soothe me. I'm happy. And I'm looking at some fun thing and they go, oh, they mirror my internal state back to me on their face with their voice. There is this sense of a rhythm of connection and responsiveness. Mm -hmm. They're not overly anxious with me. They're not disconnected from me. They're well-regulated and I'm drawing upon that regulation and that dance of connection. Mm -hmm. What happens over time is that child learns, I can rely on my caregiver. When I am having tenderness or distress, I feel confused or scared or whatever. If I go to my caregiver, they will help me. I will feel soothed. I will feel understood. And so I learn a pattern. And my pattern is this, I reach for my caregiver when I'm upset and I receive soothing and calming from them quickly. And that dance plays out unless Mm -hmm. there's some, you know, injury that goes on for someone. So someone may have had a secure experience in childhood and then they get into a really abusive marriage Yes, and and that abusive marriage might shift. So they can't reach and receive from their partner because maybe every time they reach, their partner takes it as a criticism Mm -hmm. and and rages at them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now they're going to adapt into an avoidant pattern. So let me explain what an avoidant pattern is. An avoidant pattern is a caregiver who is incapable. So they are predictably consistently incapable of offering a soothing response. So that might be they ignore their child when they cry because they believe crying is um, indulgent, right? And so we're not, I'm not, if you're going to cry, I'm not coming. You stop crying and then I'll engage with you. Okay. Well, that's a problematic belief system, but a lot of people have it. Or so that we would call that dismissive or the caregiver is so anxious in their own body state that when the child is upset, the caregiver actually adds anxiety to the moment. So the yes. child cries and the caregiver's response is, what's wrong? Are you okay? Are you okay? Right. Okay. Well, now in both instances, the caregiver has added dysregulation instead of taking away dysregulation. So that secure experience is I'm dysregulated. You help me regulate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The avoidant experience is I'm dysregulated. You make me more dysregulated. So the child learns very, very early. This is before 12 months of age. Our research says that before 12 months of age, a child learns what capacity their caregiver has. So they learn my caregiver cannot soothe me. And so instead of reaching, there's no reason to reach. I am going to avoid and distract So these children learn, I'm upset, I'm scared, but there's no reason to reach. So I'm going to play with my toys. I'm going to suck my thumb. I'm going to do something else. Thumb sucking isn't a sign of avoidance, but I'm just explaining like, sure. Yes. The child will not reach. Right. They're going to, they're going to figure it out themselves. They're going to self-soothe or or Mm -hmm. avoid. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And so if this is never healed and it stays uninterrupted and it goes into adulthood, well, now I go into adulthood with the belief that my emotions and my emotional needs are a burden to people Mm -hmm. and that the best way for me to stay close to somebody is to shut them down. And I'm going to expect other people to do the same thing because I have this deep seated belief that there's, why would we do that? There is no reason to bring up our emotions or, or bring them to other people or show them into other people. And so when people bring them to me, I feel burdened and overwhelmed, maybe even a little panicky, maybe judgy. But I don't know how to engage with tenderness and distress, except to flee, shut down, intellectualize. Sometimes that comes in the form of spiritualizing, like, oh, everything's fine. You shouldn't feel this way. God Mm -hmm, is good. mm -hmm. Whatever. Mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. Yes. That's that's avoidance. Yes. Um, And in the developmental research, secure is referred to as secure in childhood and free autonomous in adulthood. And then... I know. I'm telling you, there's so many names. Yeah. And uh, the avoidant is considered anxious avoidant in childhood mm-hmm. and then dismissive in adulthood. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 So then third category. Yes. Children who have caregivers who are intermittently available. Uh-huh. So sometimes effective at soothing and sometimes not. Yes. Um, this might be a caregiver who has an addiction. So when they're sober, They're able to be calm, warm, responsive, understanding, but when they're on meth, not so much or, (laughs) you know, or, um, 
or a caregiver with a pretty serious mood disorder that goes in and mm-hmm. out. So when they're mm-hmm. in manic and depressive states, they aren't able to attune, but when they're balanced, they are, or, or a caregiver in an abusive relationship where the abuser is threatened by the connection between them, the parent and the child. And so they're able to be connected to that parent when the abuser's out of the room, but not in the room. Mm-hmm. If that gives you an example. Okay. So oh, this sure. intermittent reinforcement means that the child never knows, am I going to get what I need this time or not? And so the coping skill they develop is they become hypervigilant. So they're constantly scanning. They're looking for the, for the other shoe to drop. So they actually reach just like the secure child does. They know that initial reach, but they do not receive. So they do two other things. They cling. So there's a clinginess, an anxious clinginess. And there's a resistance or a protest. So if you offer me comfort and say, I do, I love you so much, I'm here. It doesn't It doesn't register for someone who's in that space. It's like, no, 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 no. In, in small children, it looks like they reach for their caregiver, their caregiver picks them up, and then they kind of push them away. Or they reject the toy that's being offered to them. There's a sense of like, I'm keeping you close by never being settled. Because if I settle... You might go away and you might not be there the next time I need you. So oh, I'm going to try to keep you mm-hmm. close, right? Okay. That avoidant yeah. child, that avoidant child is keeping their caregiver close by not needing anything from them. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the less they need, the less dysregulated their caregiver gets, the more likely they are to experience physical proximity with them. So all of these are all of these are strategies for staying close to a caregiver. And they're different strategies based on the different caregiver capacity. So this, this um the one I just described. This is the one that has two names in childhood. It is either called anxious resistant or anxious ambivalent. Okay. So you don't I need to remember any of these. You yeah. just need to remember the vibes. I do. Yeah. Also, okay. You, okay, well, yeah. and you'll get my book and then you'll be like, okay, I can look at the words and remember. Right. Um, and then and then in adulthood, we call it preoccupied because when this experience mm-hmm. is never resolved, what happens is this person feels like a deep sense of anxiety in their closest relationships. They might be confident at work or with friends, but getting into that romantic space or that really close to close friendship space, it activates the sense that I'm going to be left. At some point, I'm going to be left. So I have to keep guard and I'm going to watch. And I'm not going to absorb the reassuring data as much as I absorb the data that makes me feel nervous. And so, yeah, you texted me back, but it took you an hour. And I'm going to perseverate on the fact that it took you an hour and it should have taken five minutes instead of you responded to me. And and I'm going to create stories about why I'm not good enough for you and why you might not want to be with me. And I'm going to be, I'm I'm going to not settle in response to the reassurance and love you give me. It's not going to settle me no matter how much you give me. Right. Right. And then I'm going to overreact, creating more of a distance Mm -hmm. barrier. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the last category we call disorganized in um, childhood and unresolved in adulthood. And this is the set of people whose caregivers were scary. If I have this attachment drive to move towards my caregiver when I'm in danger and I'm tender, but my caregiver is abusive to me, verbally, physically, sexually, or if they are... um, deeply, deeply untreated in a mental illness. They have, unre- you know, they have schizophrenia or they have a severe addiction. You know, it's heroin night and day. That fear scrambles the instinct to run for people. And so what happens over time to this person is the experience of being in close relationships is in itself traumatic and scary. And so they learn a coping pattern that is very primal. So as mm. soon as I get into a close relationship, I'm activated because I, I, my body tells me this is where I get hurt. Sure. Um, and so then now I, I, I land in sort of that fight, flight, freeze, fawn zone. And I'm maybe I'm people pleasing to the max because I am so afraid of being hurt that I'm just going to say everything you want me to say, even if I don't feel any of it, or maybe I'm going to you know, every time there's conflict, I'm going to completely flee and break up with someone, or I'm going to fight. I'm going to get scary. Um, I always, I like to say there's a shutdown and a blow up. That's kind of, so if those are those words, right? So, yes. So, so when we're looking at our attachment pattern in a relationship, we're going, when I'm tender, when I'm scared, ashamed, uncertain, confused, when I'm in a sense of distress, overwhelm, those are the moments we're evaluating. 
What do I do in this relationship when those things come up for me? What do I do in response to the other person when those things are coming up for them? A secure response is I reach, I receive, and if they are reaching, I respond. Uh huh. An yes. avoidant response is I avoid and I distract, and if they reach, I dismiss. Yes. And the dismissing can also look like not just dismissing, right? It can also, in my experience, yes, say my, it, say it. Right. It's like almost almost like a decimation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it can also manifest as some form of abuse because, right, mm-hmm. that's the easiest way to distance mm-hmm. from it. Does that make sense? I mean, is that yes? Yeah, yes I would say and? there's some I, well, I would say there's disorganization and someone trying to decimate you during your tenderness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I would say that's more disorganized than dismissive. Dismissive, the, the goal of a dismissive a pattern is really truly let's get this material away from us because I don't want anyone to get hurt. A disorganized response might be more like, I don't, this feels scary. So I'm going to scare you yes. into stopping the thing. Okay. That's okay. disorganized because there's Got more it. of an intent, an, an intent of um, threat and harm. Yeah. Than there is in that avoidance. And avoidance can feel harmful. It hurts when someone dismisses what we're feeling, but it really is much more about protecting the relationship. And this is why I said people don't belong in boxes. This is complicated stuff. Totally. Totally. Someone could have, you know, traits, avoidant pattern traits that they learned in the relationship with their father, but they have some really disorganized traits they learned from their mother. And the combination mm-hmm. of those two things comes out in this kind of confusing. In fact, when we score disorganization for children doing the strange situation protocol, um, which is a really important research tool we have, you can actually be categorized secure and still score a little bit for disorganization. So disorganization can be scored in all of the areas. It's only kids that literally truly don't have any of these patterns that would be categorized full on disorganized. So those are your patterns. And the coolest part about attachment research is that we have really good knowledge of how you move from an insecure pattern, whether that's avoidant or ambivalent, resistant, or disorganized, how, that you can move from those patterns into a secure pattern at any point in your life. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Primus Bank. If you've listened to recent episodes, then you've heard me talk about how important it is to establish a new checking account separate from your spouse. And you've also heard me talk about Primus Bank and all the wonderful resources they've put together for people going through a separation or divorce. Well, there's another fee-free account that they have that gives you more earning potential than most banks' high-yield savings accounts. That's right, Primus Premium checking comes with one of the nation's highest rates, currently a 5.07 annual percentage yield. And all it takes is a dollar to open. So let me say that again, 5.07%. Just like Primus Perks, every Primus Premium account comes with free ATM use nationwide, no overdraft fees. It has early paycheck deposit, plus there is no account maximum, and they'll never cap your interest earnings. Whether you've heard of Primus before or the name is new to you, you should take a look. They are not like your typical online bank. They're a member FDIC and they have real 24-7 customer service. Plus, the extra work they're doing for their customers, like what they've put together for people who are going through a divorce, is anything but typical. Head on over to PrimusBank.com slash DSG to view more details on Primus Premium Checking and also their other divorce resources like guides, blogs, and so much more. So that is Primus, P-R-I-M-I-S dot com slash DSG to take advantage for more resources and to start opening an account today. It really only takes a few minutes. And now back to our show. So in terms of, you know, because my audience, what they're dealing with and all of the things, right? Can you still move from one, from a, you know, a more anxious attachment to secure if you're still in a relationship that is either with an avoidant or disorganized, someone who is hurting you in a relationship that is not working for you, whether it's abusive, neglectful, can you become more secure within yourself while still continuing to have that relationship? Um, Yes, but. Mm -hmm. So 
you will need other relationships where you are experiencing attunement and connection in order to become more secure. Because what is broken in relationship, what's wounded in relationship gets healed in relationship, right? And so, you know, you might see a therapist or have a group of friends where their responses to you are secure. You're getting that attuned, caring, warm, thoughtful type care when you're tender about something. And that's starting to transform your sense of self, your sense of relating, and it allows you to give more warmth, understanding, and support to everybody else in your life. Yes. Uh That in and of itself may shift a dynamic with someone depending on how entrenched their patterns are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, if their patterns are mildly entrenched, just you being more open, gentle, kind, caring, that might switch the dynamic. So I said, yes, but because... If someone has an abusive mentality, y'all, that's not that that absolutely is a disease they learned in an attachment context, but it has to be dealt with directly. So that person has to be able to say, I have an abusive mentality. Something is off in the way I think and relate. It's like an addiction. I've got uh-huh. to change it. I need to be in spaces where people understand this disease and help me heal it and help me recognize its roots and blah, 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 blah. Um, Yes. Yes. And that's not going to come because you asked them to change. Honestly, I'm so sad to say that. Like, I wish that was the case, but it's not how it works. Someone has to be inspired. They have to be inspired to want to stop their abusive pattern. Yes. And remaining in relationship with with them while they're continuing to have access to having power and control over you is probably not the way that they're going to be inspired. You can't heal your abuser. No, that's yes. Thank you. Can you say that again? You cannot heal your abuser. I'm so sorry. Can they heal? Potentially. Yes. Although I'll tell you the statistics are pretty harrowing. So it's a low, low chance of healing. Um, I have thoughts on that. I think there's, Oh, I'd like to hear them. So if you've had attachment insecurity in your life, so there were no caregivers who could effectively give you that soothing that you needed, and instead maybe there was humiliation or dominance modeled in your home growing up, uh, which is terrifying, at some point, someone adapts to that environment by relating through control. And I think control is the most addictive, non-controlled substance that we have. Wow, I think that when someone has learned to relate through control, it's basically anesthetizing them from their vulnerability. So mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if I'm right and you're wrong, if I'm on top and you're on bottom, and I always position myself around those two things, right? Yep. I'm in control. It's me. And here's why you're wrong. And I'm going to make you feel crazy all the time. I never have to face some of those unbelievable, uncomfortable feelings that I definitely felt in my childhood, right? Like, yes, I don't have Mm -hmm. to feel worried about my worthiness and have shame get activated. I it's, it's a drug. I'm right. You're wrong is a drug. Yes. And I'm, I'm imagining that it creates a dopamine hit, right? Every time they win, right. Which is an addictive you know, this is part of the the cycle and process of addiction, right? Is that like every time I get that dopamine hit from controlling you. And vice versa, anytime there's any form of vulnerability, I think they get an immense, immense adrenaline response. So the terror that is felt in not having control Uh is humongous. I see. And so then boom, I've got to get out. I have to get, I have to get out Out. of this. Right. And and so I've got to position myself, reposition myself. But Lundy Bancroft, I don't know if you Mm -hmm. know his work. Yes, very well. Yeah. Well. So, I mean, his on the stati- podcast. His, mm-hmm. oh, really amazing. His <laughs> yeah. statistic, right. Is 5%. So of those, of those folks that end up in treatment, 5% leave treatment and truly transform their way of relating and cease right. to be abusive. That's right. I mean, I, it's, it's not really good statistic. It's not, not the good statistic. And I think what's so important because what I, what happens, and I always want to sort of, you know, interrupt this pattern of thinking in real time. What happens, I think, very so often is that women listen to conversations like this yeah. with an ear to what do I need to tell? What what piece of information can I yeah. can I glean from this so that I can tell him so that he'll change? Yep, 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 yep. 
Which is part of the abusive dynamic, right? So the abusive dynamic is yeah. someone gets brainwashed into feeling that they are responsible for what the other person feels, needs, experiences. Um, but in a, in a truly secure, safe relationship, even in an insecure, safe relationship, you aren't responsible. You aren't made to feel responsible for anything with the other person. It's their job to take care of themselves. It's your job to figure out your own stuff. And they don't just give lip service to that. No, that's the they experience. Actually, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what's that's what can be so different, right? Is mm-hmm. that I know in my case, like my ex-husband, of course, would be like, well, of course I'm responsible for my own happiness and you're responsible mm-hmm. for yours, right? But those were not his actions, right? <laughs> right? That right. was not the like the manipulative experience. Sort of pattern, right? And this is why... I think too, we were just talking about having that secure, having a secure relationship, mm-hmm. whether it's in your relationship or not, right? I remember my couples therapists, because mm-hmm. uh, we were doing, we were in Imago therapy and the mm-hmm. sort of the premise of Imago therapy is that, you know, your partner can heal your childhood wounds. I think, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I'm going to pause there for a second. And, yeah. and right. Cause it is like, well, if you're in a secure relationship, it can help heal, heal your secure attachment, Right. So in order for that to be true, there has to be safety. Yes. Uh, and and I would say, you know, not just, hey, you're not going to hurt me. You're not intending to hurt me. You're not intending to control me safety. That's important. But sure. also there has to be a real spirit from both people that like, I'm wanting to be close to you. Yeah. I want it. I yes. may not know how to do it. And my mm-hmm. instinct might be that closeness means I turtle in when I'm upset. <laughs> right. Like uh huh. But there's a sense of like, we desire the process of creating intimacy and it's, and it's on a mutual level, but otherwise, yeah, no, it's not going to work. And so I, I do not, I do not ascribe to the idea that every single couple chooses each other because our wounds line up. I do not ascribe to that idea. We can absolutely be a part of our partner's healing and they a part of ours. And I do think we tend to choose partners that feel familiar to us in some way, right? Like sure. we're creating yeah. family. Right with yeah. our partners. Mm. So like that thing mm. of like, I don't know, I just feel like they're my people or I belong with them. Well, what is that? Well, it's some sense of familialness, which means it probably is activating something from how we grew up. Right. And that might be a really great thing. It totally. might also be a really bad thing. Yeah. Um, we just have to be aware of it and aware of what the patterns right. are. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So move. So, you know, one of the things that our Imago therapists mm-hmm. told us at one point was that Individual therapy, this is like my favorite thing that was ever said, and sarcastically, individual therapy is, is a, you know, kills, kills marriages. Individual therapy, like they really didn't want people in individual therapy because all of their clients who were in individual therapy ended up getting divorced. And hmm. what I'm almost hearing, what I'm hearing in this is, let's say in my case, right? I'll just yeah. take myself as a, as a case study, right? My marriage was abusive. Mm-hmm. And we were in an imago process that was making me more vulnerable to mm-hmm. the abuse. Mm-hmm. And so then when I started working with an individual therapist and I was actually creating a secure attachment mm-hmm. with this other person, it no longer lined up. Right. right? I like right. my, my psyche was like, I don't want that. I want this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And you had something to contrast it to like, Oh, yes. this yeah. feels so different. Okay, so as a therapist, a couple of things. I am a systemic therapist, which means I really do believe there is incredible power in thinking systemically in people's lives and not just thinking in individuals. There can be a problem. So you could have a safe relationship that's insecure and you have both people in individual therapy and the therapists that they're working with are not attachment informed. They're not relationally informed. And all they do is validate everything that person says and don't challenge them to reflect on their own part in the pattern or how to really use the relational tools. So that can be true. They're not wrong, but that's that that can happen. However, it is ethically counterindicated to engage in couples therapy when there is abuse present. Yes. And what I find, Say what that I again. find Say it is that ethically, again. <laughs> ethically contraindicated to provide couples therapy when there is the presence of an abusive party in the in the relationship because it's not a couples issue. So that, like I said, that abusive mentality has to go first. There cannot be any, no couples dynamic can be resolved or worked out when one person is acting in a way that is deeply threatening and unsafe. And so 
And I'm, when I say deeply threatening, I don't mean like they put a gun to your head every night. I mean, they, they, they are consistently relating to you in demeaning ways, in controlling ways. They are isolating you from other supports. They are, you know, denying you pieces of yourself and your life that help you thrive. You know, if you haven't seen the power and control wheel before, everyone should look it up. But what I have found is very few therapists are given that training well on how to assess. So they don't always assess. No, Um, they do not know. They do not. A lot don't. And I think a lot have not been in abusive relationships themselves. So I think they also don't understand the context of, hey, yeah, in this room, this person is going to look like this and sound like this. And they're going to make it sound like this is an us problem because that's what they do. Yes. And because it's not part, it's not a consistent part of training, right? Basic training for therapy for therapists. And it doesn't involve domestic violence, which, you know, why is that? Well, because psychology up until recently was a male dominated leader, had male dominated leadership. There are more and more and more and more women in the group, but I would say still in general, programmatically, domestic violence is not a required class. Yeah. Which is Uh, absurd. If you're going to do couples work, it's absurd. Well, and because of the prevalence, I mean, the last statistic I learned on DV is 4 million women a year are assaulted by their partners in the U.S. alone. And that's not calculating the amount of women that are emotionally abused and manipulated. Right. So it's a problem. It's a widespread problem we have when I'm working. So if I'm working with a couple, I'm looking for the signs and the cues and I'm asking questions and I'm doing separate sessions to ensure that I am checking in. And what does it look like here versus here? I'm assessing body size and prominence in the community. And I'm looking at what are the different elements here that potentially create a power dynamic to make sure Mm -hmm. that what I'm dealing with is really attachment stuff. Because if there's abuse and we start talking attachment, that's just a new lens and a new tool that someone with an abusive mindset can use. That's right. Well, you're you're avoiding me. Why won't you have sex with me? This is your avoidance shit coming up. You're you're just so anxious and preoccupied. Like, why are you asking me that question? Of course, I'm not cheating on you. This is your preoccupation, whatever. No, I shouldn't have to show you my phone. You need to become more secure, right? That kind of stuff. Just from a societal lens, it is. It's. It feels to me so. It's so big. Yeah. It's such an enormous issue that it does feel like we're just like chip, chip. <laughs> you know, but absolutely. absolutely. But you're hitting the nail on the head. I hear it all the time. All the time. So, okay. So if someone's abusive, what's your first line? The first thing you can, you want to do is make sure you're safe and then, and to get support that is separate from that person to help you reorient your brain and reorganize your worthiness and, and your rights, because they've usually been all skewed up for you. And then, you know, at that juncture, you and whoever you're working with can ask the question, is this someone with, is this a five percenter? Is this one of those five percenters? Does this person have the potential to heal? Is there enough investment in their children or in their relationship with you or that you could say to them, you have an abusive mindset. You need to work on it. That's our next step. I'm going to separate for a while while you figure that out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, Or you get to go, why do I, why? I don't want this. Why? Right. Why does it? I don't have to stay with this person. There are more people in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. In which case, you'll probably have some recovery and healing to do about how that relationship impacted your ability to listen to your body and Mm -hmm. ask for what you need and trust in your desires. Absolutely. Come back to that more secure place. Yeah. So much healing. So much healing. And Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's interesting because there's something that that you said earlier about children, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the, the, the research bears out people people are terrified women are very scared that if they leave their abusive partner mm-hmm. they're going to leave their children in the mm-hmm. uh relationship with the abuser half of 50% of the time right because yep. that's what the and they won't like be to able do. to be there and manage and it and they mm-hmm. won't be there to manage it and there's something that you said that i thought was really really important to sort of drive home is that is how how not present mm-hmm. you are able to be if you're if you're staying in this relationship full time because because you're keeping the hyper vigilant eye out for their behavior so that you can pr- go in and protect then you are actually not able to be that secure place for your children no because you're anxious all the time 
all the time because you have to be because you're you're living mm-hmm. with someone who is is predatorial with you. That's right. right. Whether mm-hmm. they're predatorial with your body sexually or with your mind or with your finances. I mean, there's all the variety of ways. So here's the comfort I want everyone to know. So I said this earlier, from a developmental perspective, attachment is a research of a relationship. So when you are in that abusive context, the relationship you can cultivate with your children is is stunted because you're having to be on watch for what you say, how you say it. And it communicates to your children some validity of the behavior of your abuser because unless you're standing up to your abuser every single time, and even if you're doing that, they're definitely retaliating. And then your children are watching you remain in that relationship. The message they internalize is this is this, this is normal. This is what intimacy looks like. When you leave, you are going to deal with the unbelievable pain of co-parenting with someone who has this mindset and who will continue to try to find ways to control you and humiliate you and demean you in that divorce process and mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. But... You will be creating a domain in your life and your children's life that is free of abuse. That's right. And that domain will be the key comparative space that allows them to process the yucky stuff of their other parents' mindsets. That's right. Yeah, I always say you're giving your kids the gift of perspective. Mm, yes. They they know how it feels when they're with you and they know how it feels when they're with their other parent mm-hmm. and they they start to feel the difference and then you give them the option to choose later in life. Yes, they get to choose. Mm-hmm. And you get to comfort them. I mean, they can come to you and yes. say, you know, mm-hmm. this is what the other parent did and they can cry with you and and you can say without terror, that's not okay. I'm that's not right. okay with what they said to you. I'm so sorry that happened. I love you. That must have hurt, you know, and and you don't make it about you, right? You don't go, they did it to me too. This is why I left. Like, no, no, no. It's not about you. You're staying with your child and their experience. But if you're still with that person, well, you're going to pickle. Because what are you going to say? Well, they shouldn't have done that. Okay, well, then what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm not going to do anything about it because they can't handle that kind of feedback. So I'm just going to try and distract you in some way, shape or form or, you know, so The other thing I want to reassure parents about is that children who have one, one secure relationship with a caregiver are likely to develop a secure sense of self and a secure way of relating. So if they have a terrible relationship with that other parent, it is not, it's not like 50, 50, half of them is going to be disorganized half. They're going to, it's, it's what we all do. We're going to tend towards the place of warmth and safety and support and internalizing that. Yes. Um, so, and obviously there's things to be undone and there's usually therapy that has to be done because we absolutely, if we've stayed for a period of time because we couldn't leave or we didn't realize we could leave, whatever that is, mm-hmm. um, we were complicit in some ways with enabling our, the abusive behavior. And I don't mean that in like, we're responsible for it. You didn't choose no. it. But there, there is something there that will need healing with your children because there will be a trust there for them of like, well, why sure. didn't you protect us earlier? Why didn't you leave earlier? Why did you let him say this or that or do this to me or that to me? And I'm 100%. using the, I'm using gendered language here because it tends to be gendered in this way. But obviously, this can be male mm-hmm. to female, female sure. to female, male to male. It just tends to be abusive male to female. But anyway. Yes. No, I mean, this is, I I appreciate everything you're saying, because you're certainly validating everything that I always say, which about being complicit, you know, we've we've got to give our, like, this is the gift for your kids, right? Um, Staying together for your kids is, it's, it's, it can be, it can be dangerous, and it can do the exact opposite of what you think it's doing for them later in life. You know, fun fact, I'm a child Mm -hmm. of divorce. Same, same. Okay. And I, my mom didn't leave my dad till I was uh, 15 Uh and I wish she'd left earlier. Like that's my sentiment about it. Um, My dad was, well, he was abusive in the sense that he had substance abuse issues. I wouldn't describe him as being a power and control dynamic person, but he had very serious substance abuse issues. And in that way, there was lots of gaslighting and, you know, everything that comes with really serious alcoholism. Um, But for me, like it took me, I had to heal from all those years of staying. Like, I think, man, what would it have been like 
to watch her leave and thrive. And, and she ended up with an incredibly kind and safe man. What, what, what if that had happened earlier? I think that would have allowed less labor for me in my own healing process. And maybe it would have meant, you know, oh, this stinks. I have to go from this house to this house. But I also think I would have been able to process it faster. That's right. Yeah. The other thing that I say about leaving and creating a safe space for your children, even if it's only 50% of the time, is that you actually give their nervous systems a minute to decompress, mm. right? You do get them, you get the opportunity for them to come and say, this happened and it hurt, or just yes. the experience of feeling safe. Yes. Yes. At you all. Know? Yes. At all. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I do think it's a really important message. What you're saying is that having bit lived through this, you wish they had done it sooner. Yep. It gave me the belief that I could leave when someone wasn't a good fit for me. And I think that really helped me say no to an abusive relationship that I was in, mm. in graduate school. It really, mm. I mean, I think had my, I'm like, what would it have been like if my mom had never left or waited even longer to leave? I think it would have been even harder for me to yes. have processed. Sure. It's like, there's this little story in my brain, like you can leave. You can That's leave. right. You can go, you can do this. Yeah. You don't so, have to stay when someone is treating you like dog poop. You don't have to stay. You don't, you don't. And, and staying for your children not only puts totally undue and unnecessary pressure on them, uh-huh. um, but it's also statistically just not the answer. Yeah, definitely. That you think it is. Now, let's all be honest. It's a lot easier to say than to do. Leaving is hard. Absolutely. Leaving is hard. Mm-hmm. That's right. A hundred percent. And we have lots of resources and, you know, that's the work. That's the work that I do. <laughs> so, I love that. I love that. Yeah. But, so, okay. One of the cool things. Yeah. So, so I've been doing this work with folks for almost 17 years in therapy in terms of helping people process their early childhood, process their adult attachment experiences, and then learn secure patterns. And what I did was I made a workbook. Mm. So securely attached, yes. transform your attachment patterns into loving, lasting, romantic relationships. You can, you, even if you've decided I'm, I've swore off romance, I'm done with that. I'm never doing that again. It's fine. It'll help you with your close friendships, but it's basically, <laughs> yes, I walk you through reflecting on the really important attachment specific experiences that you've had. And once we do that, and we let ourselves feel grief around that, Mm. we're Mm -hmm. able to shift into a very different mentality and mindset. And then it's really interesting what happens. So if you grew up in an insecure home, there is a predisposition to paying more attention to the people who don't like us than the, the, and who um, we feel tension with and we feel just dis- because we're like trying to calm the storms in the world because that's what we mm-hmm. did in our childhood. Once you start resolving some of that, you start to recognize the value of the people in your life that are no drama. Yes. Like the value of the people in your life who really truly aren't trying to consume you. They may not be telling you you're the most fabulous thing that's ever been made ever, but then you're like, oh, that's because they're just being kind. They don't. Yeah. They're not. And they're not. Me. They're not trying to right. consume me. Right, um, right. Yeah, so I think it's really like a fun thing for me over the years to watch people once they've really kind of done that work to to watch them sort of pay attention and go, oh, "There's a secure person in my life. There's a secure person in my yeah. life. Like I, they're they're here. Yeah. I just I didn't focus on them." You know, people always say to me that they're like, "You have such amazing friends." Like you're just always surrounded with, with incredible friends. They're always, they're generous. They'll help like with my foot. Like they have just, they just show up at my house. They clean my, you know, I had a, I had like a group of three women come over and just like take down my Christmas tree. (laughs) Like they just did it all. Right. And I do, I have really great friendships and I think I really do ascribe it to what you're talking about. Like Mm -hmm. I have done the work to be able to be, first of all, I am that friend, right. I'll drop everything and come over. But I accept and I foster relationships mm. with people who like, that's just what they do. And that's who they are. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. And you value that thing. now, right? Because 100%. You know, yes. instead of valuing the person who's rejecting you and trying to get them to like you or think something or believe you or trust, you, you know, you, you start to go, wait, why, why would I spend all my energy there when the outcome is just exhaustion? I could spend my energy over here and the outcome is this mutual benefit that's and right. this just sense of care and emotional safety. Like, yep. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, someday there'll be a, a dude that shows up with that too. But until then. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> yeah. Until then, I'm great. And I have my yep. friends and it's wonderful. Yeah. So, okay. Where can everyone find you, find your book? This conversation has been, I mean, honestly, people are, I think it's for me, who's also, you know, I love the science. I love the nerdiness. This is why we're having this conversation. I think people are going to love this and they're going to want to do this so work. I'm so glad. Yay. Yay. Okay. So you can, if you want to listen to me, run my mouth on the internet. I yes. do that on Instagram, Facebook, sometimes on TikTok. I'm not as good on TikTok, but Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook primarily um, at attachment nerd. So you can find me there. And then my book, you can find anywhere you buy books. So Amazon, yeah. Barnes and Noble, Powell's books, you know, we will link it in the show notes. Awesome. Yep. Um, and then if you're a parent yes. and you are like, okay, I do not know how to parent like this piece of like secure parenting. Like I don't know it. Then I have a whole group of classes and a membership and a village that you can be a part of. And so you go to attachmentnerd.com. And you can sign up there. I call it the nerd herd. So you can join the nerd herd. And if you don't have finances to join the nerd herd, I'll scholarship you. I just Mm, want as many parents as possible to have these resources. So head there and you can just send me an email if you're like, there's no way I can pay $29 a month or whatever it is. And then you definitely want to follow me on socials because my parenting book is coming out in the fall. Oh my gosh. Wow. Look at you. Just like, boom, boom. I mean, I'm taking a break after this. <laughs> it's going to be boom, boom, You're crazy. Yeah, oh my no, I, God. You... I'm a crazy. Wow. That's um, amazing. So, and that's called Raising Securely Attached Kids. Yeah. I'm really excited about. I wish I had world. that a million years ago, but I, I think I did. You know what? I did well. He's, he's like, he's really, he's in this great relationship with them. They're, they're pretty secure together. It's great. It's great to watch. You know, our yeah. goal is to be good enough. That's it. Yeah. That's our only goal as parents. And nobody is like, they're like Thanks the mother the award, whatever. Like that's, that's not real. This is not a thing. Just I know. That out. I know. Yes. But, you know, it's like, do our kids know they can count on us most of the time, the majority of the time. And that when we, does. and when we mess up, do we apologize? Do we come mm-hmm. back? Do we repair? And do we believe in the best of them and, you know, hold their dignity sacred, you know, then they're going to be secure with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that reminder. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, it's like a uh, reminder myself too. Sometimes it's like, right, right. Oh, parenting, yeah. man. It's no joke. No joke. No joke. Mine's, mine's 18. So crazy. Yeah. 18. He's, he's a grown up. He's a grown yeah, up. He is a grown up. He's a grown ish. He's, he's grown ish. Yes, he's not. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, it is so lovely to connect with you. You too. I'm so grateful for all of your wisdom and insight and everybody needs to go and follow the attachment nerd on all, in all the places. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.